I will say, if you haven't done the Amazing Race with us before, it's a lot of fun. People really get into it. We've had people park their cars and block other people in, knock people over. It's, if you've ever wondered, is there anyone in here really, really competitive? This is your chance to find out. Uh, it's, it's a, you, you have people way too in it, kind of like myself. But um, that's why I don't play. I, I'll be honest with you guys, I'm still a little bit tired. Got back from camp uh, this past Sunday. I know some of you guys went. Um, I slept on a foam mattress that was this thick, which works, I think, for like a small middle schooler. Um, but I'm about three small middle schoolers, and so I did not exactly sleep well. And on top of that, um, we lost the counselor versus uh, adults basketball game, and I yelled at another pastor that was refing the game. So it was just, uh, it's one of those moments where I go, where I go, I'm getting better at this competition thing. No, not, not happening. Um, anyway, so all that's happening. I'm excited. And yeah, if you guys come, it, I don't do well, just so you guys know, I don't do well with like, uh, some of you are like me in here. When people praise you, you're like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, Thank you. If you come to church and have your face on my shirt, I may not be able to deal with it. I may just walk off stage. Um, so please don't do that. Uh, no signs. Uh, you may be excited and laugh really loud when I make good jokes or bad jokes either one uh, Just laugh really loud and I will thank you for that afterwards. Anyway um, So some of you guys will understand me on this some of you are about to go into that season uh, When my, my friends and I when we first went to college we went to UF and uh, when We first went to college. We were looking for places to stay. We got in this a little bit too Late, uh, We found out that a lot of the places that we wanted to be in, we couldn't get into. We were way too late on the dorms and that whole situation. So when we went up to go look, we found this place that was not built yet. And so because it was not built yet, it was way cheaper. And it was this nice place. It was like 2,100 square foot place uh, for me and my two friends. Uh, detached garage, all this kind of stuff. But it was like half the price that it was going to be because it wasn't built yet. And so we signed up for it. We got it. The problem was... When we moved in, we realized this is not where college students live. Like we were surrounded by like single families and all that kind of stuff. And we're going, okay, it's just us. And they're looking at us kind of weird. And we moved in and it was interesting because all of us had bedroom furniture, but that was it. Uh, our living room literally had a TV on a, um, a, on a TV stand, like a TV dinner stand. Uh, the TV was on that. It didn't even make those anymore. And we had a blow-up mattress as our couch. Um, I'm still, I think about that now. I'm still amazed any girl that walked into our apartment stayed. Um, I would have run. I would have been like, this is sketchy. This is weird. But um, so that, that's what we had. And, and our next door neighbors on one side, it was a single dad with two teenage daughters. And these two teenage daughters were very angry people. Um, I'll, I'll say this way, because they would play Metallica at 5 a.m. in the morning every morning as they got ready. And, they would, and we would beat on the wall, and they would yell at us back. Um, I think one girl said, what are you going to do about it? Um, through the wall, I was like, I don't know. Uh, I was just, I, I figured the banging on the wall would work. So she would play Metallica at night. We'd wait till they went to bed, and we'd play Metallica at like 2 a.m. Um, so we went back and forth. It was this, this bad deal. My friend Brad, though, he was, on the second, he was on the second story with me, and he had this thing where he could open up his window and sit out on the roof. And he'd sit on the roof and do that college thing where you think really deeply about stuff, like the meaning of life and why girls won't date him and stuff like that. And so, uh, that's messed up. He, he had dates. Uh, so he's sitting out there. And so because of that, his screen was off his window, and he'd leave his window open a lot. 
And so one day he's in his bedroom and he's taking a shower. Well, for some reason, the girl next door, who is a teenager, decides to just walk into his room. Oh. Um, so he gets out of the shower with a towel and he walks out. She's sitting at his computer and he's, he walks out. And the moment he walks out, he's like, why are you here? And the moment he says that, dad comes through the window. Yeah. I'm surprised Brad's still alive, to be honest with you. But we were like, he was like, I don't know what's going on. He's like looking at her. He's like, what are you doing to my daughter? Like all that kind of stuff. Brad's in a tough place because he's wearing a towel. Um, I think he just went to the bathroom and shut the door and locked it. Like he's like, I don't know what to do right now. The dad left. The police showed up. Um, and then we had to explain the police were like, they're angry girls. Like they're always angry. They're all, all these things. And they came over and the police were like, yeah, we got that idea. And they just, they, they left. And I remember after that, like us going, okay, this is ridiculous. That dad would like shoot daggers at us, which I understand now. Like back then I'm like, why are you looking at us that way? We didn't do anything wrong because he has daughters and he'd stay, and we would go back and forth and we were mean back and forth and all that. And I look back and I go, my goodness, it's like one of those things where I'm like, this poor guy was a single dad raising teenage daughters. Like, that's hard enough as it is. Like, us, we could have done way more to help out. I mean, we didn't need to be in those teenage daughters' lives at all, but we could have brought girls that could have been. Like, we could have done so much more. We could have apologized on top of it. We could have done anything we could to help them out. We could have said, this is what's going on. We could have baked a cake. I don't know, but we could have done a lot to love them. I mean, here's what's crazy. Two of us in that apartment were going into youth ministry, yet neither of us felt the need to help out a dad who had two youths just because of that situation. You see, I'm doing a message tonight that I kind of do every once in a while. It's a message that you're going to hear some things that you've heard before. It's just one of those things where sometimes I feel like we have to always go back and make sure we understand what love is. Uh, understand what love is, what love does. And, and we're going to look at a story that you've heard many times, a story that you've heard about. And I just hope to maybe bring, bring some new perspective or bring up some ideas that you had before and, and bring something out that helps you see someone around you that you should be caring for. So we're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan, but it starts in Luke 10, verse 25. And this is Jesus talking to a bunch of religious leaders. It says this, it says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. They were always trying to catch him in a lie. He said, teacher, what should I do and inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Here's what the, the guy was really getting at. He goes, I don't want to love everyone. Who's the people that I actually have to love? In fact, back then they probably believed there's only one set of people they had to love. The people that were Jewish, the people that believed the same things as them and then didn't stray from the law. Under that time, they were under Roman rule. He goes, there's no way you think I should love the Romans who have us under their rule. Or I should love the other people that have gone against us in many times. Or, God forbid, I love someone that's not the same religion as me. What he's doing, he's trying to get Jesus to say, we don't have to love everyone. You just have to love the people that are easiest to. They're looking for a loophole. Many times I think that's what we do. In the world around us, we look for loopholes in the people that God wants us to love. We bring up excuses, we bring up things, and we go, well, God, I, I would love them, but they have this. Or, God, I don't think this is who you should have in my life. We look for loopholes in love. It's kind of like this. Uh, when my son was about a year and a half old, I remember my wife had uh, gone to a conference, and it was just me and him. 
And that was one of the years that I mistakenly said, I have to babysit my son. And my wife's like, no, you're his father. You don't babysit. It's his. It's yours. Uh, and so it's like, that is true. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm taking care of my son. And I'm sitting there, and Madden had just come out. And I'm like, man, I really want to play Madden. But when I would play Madden, he'd want my attention. Like, what's wrong with him, right? Um, and so he'd want my attention. So I'm like, what am I going to do? Well, back then, Xbox had this feature where you could do split screen, where I'd have Madden on one side, and i put Finding Nemo on the other. And I'm like, amazing. So I'm sitting there for a moment playing Madden while he's watching Finding Nemo and neither of us connecting. And I'm like, this is amazing. I remember texting some friends going, I have, I have, under, like, I have figured out dad life. And then about five minutes later, I went, I think I started hearing cats in the cradle in my head. Like I, I started going, oh my gosh, I'm an awful person. And I'm just sitting there like, I would rather do this than pay attention to my son. Now, you gotta understand, like, you can only play roll the ball across the floor so many times that it's still interesting. But this is the son. This is the, who God put in my life. Like it says in the Bible, this is who I'm supposed to pour into. This is who I'm supposed to love. And I'm looking for a loophole. So if I'm looking for a loophole in the people that God has put closest to me, we are very good at looking for loopholes and looking for ways out and people that are a little bit further that God's trying to point us towards, but we're staying away from. And here's what's crazy about Jesus. Like the, Jesus is kind of like that old grandpa sometimes. Like they go, hey, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus just tells a story. It's like, Grandpa, what should I do with my life? Well, back in 1978, you're like, I'm sure they were like, what is Jesus doing? He just literally, who's my neighbor? Jesus goes, I'm going to tell you a story. And so in Luke 10, 30, 31, he says, Jesus replied with a story. It's like so zen. He goes, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By a chance, priests came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. See, priests were the upper class at that moment. And, and they see somebody in need, they see somebody in, that is in their same religion, is in their same group of people, yet he looked for ways to find his way out. He looked for ways to discriminate between him and what he should do. He sees a different class. He sees a different type of person. So he goes, I'm going to do something different. See, what love does is love never sees differences. Love has the ability to see themselves or who God sees somebody as instead of what they want to see. See, I believe this generation does it better in certain areas and does it way worse than others. Like we're doing way better in many areas of seeing everyone as someone that God made. But in other areas, we have a tough time. We're becoming much worse in the political realm. We're becoming much worse when we see somebody with a different point of view. But, and so what we can do is we can look at somebody who has a different point of view, different side of the political realm. We go, I'm not going to care for them because they're this or they're doing this. See, love doesn't think so highly of itself that it wouldn't actually think someone is more important than somebody else. You know, it wouldn't say, oh, I only work with certain people. There's only certain people that I want to work with. When God puts somebody in front of you, they love them. See, what's so important for Christians to do this is there's so many people already that feel on the outside of Christianity. There's already so many people that feel on the outside, even in America. Uh, some of you may remember, but Stephanie and Evan, who were part of our, our ministry for a while, they, they started a ministry, well, helped out with a ministry that reached out to refugees. It was called Love Is, and it was basically they would coach soccer teams of refugee boys and girls and then love in them and care for them and tell them about God. And they would talk to them, and I remember uh, Stephanie was talking to one of the kids named Majid, Majid and he's, 
He's explaining what's going on in school. He doesn't want anyone to know that he's a refugee. He doesn't want anyone to know that he's from that part of the world because they immediately say terrorists. They immediately think these things. And so he actually decides he's going to be Dominican. And his brother's like, you have the wrong accent. <laughs> like he's trying to pull it off. Why? Because he, he, he's, he's asking, he goes, why do they hate me? Why do they hate me? My brother died fighting ISIS. We fled because the same people that everyone's afraid of was trying to kill us. He's like, why do they hate me? And why do people say, why do Christians not like me either? Just because we have a different faith. See, we are so quick many times to look at this world and go, oh, these people are these people. I will go tell them about God, but these people I won't. And we have to be very careful nowadays, especially of associating our religion, our faith, our relationship with God, with our politics. We have to be very careful what's coming around. It's called Christian nationalism. See, here's the deal. It's okay to love God. It's actually awesome to love God. And it's okay to love your country. There's a problem when the two mix. Because somewhere in that mix, it becomes this idea that God loves our country more. God thinks that we should take care of only our own. God thinks that it, 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 we should only take care of those in the United States because God has blessed this country and it's his country. Guess what, guys? God didn't. It, 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 the United States is not God's country. Does he care about everyone here? Absolutely. But he also cares about people everywhere else. He loves people everywhere else. And that's why there's such a problem when that comes into play and people go, well, God picked this candidate. There is no candidate out there that God picked. Please, uh, and some of you aren't laughing, you guys, just understand that. There's not. You can vote for a candidate and have your, all your reasons in the role, but the moment you say this is God's candidate, you lose out on conversations. We've got to realize that God has called us to so much more. We have to be careful in this politically charged world that our political beliefs, our ideologies don't ever cut us off from loving someone that God called us to love. We can't discriminate against anyone in that. So the priest comes by, he sees somebody of lower class, so he walks away. Luke 10 32 says, A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. This is somebody that's a little bit lower class. This is somebody that could have had the time, but he probably was making excuses. It's the excuses we make for a lot of people that are in need. They probably deserved it, or they caused that. On themselves. It was their fault. This guy, he's beat up on the side road because it's his fault. He probably went down this trail at night and everybody knows you shouldn't do that. Or maybe he, he ticked off some people and they're just exacting revenge. This is something that they should have. And I, I don't want to give my resources and my time to somebody who did this to themselves. I'm not getting anything out of this relationship, so why should I love? See, there's always going to be an excuse. There's always going to be an excuse. It, for those of you who know, we foster, and we have to be careful telling our stories of foster care many times because we tell our stories of foster care and we talk about this is what's going on, this is what's happening, this is the situation, we're loving our kids through this, we're loving the mom through this, we're doing these things. And here's the deal, foster care is messy, it's dirty, because that's the way the real world is. And so we will love these kids, and here's what I get many times, they go, oh, that's just too much, I don't think my heart can handle that. I'm like, that's nice, but God never said, if your heart can't handle it, you shouldn't do it. God never said that if it brings heartbreak, we shouldn't love. Because here's the truth, guys, and if you haven't figured it out by now, if you love anyone, you're going to have heartbreak. Anyone. You get married to someone, they're going to cause you heartbreak. You have kids, they're definitely going to cause you heartbreak. You have parents, yes. 
Loving anyone requires heartbreak. Loving anyone the way God wants us to opens up our heart to something, but it's never an excuse not to love. We have to be careful that we don't make excuses that God didn't put in there. When God's calling us to love somebody, we move past the excuses and we love them there. Luke 10, 33 to 35. It says, then a despised Samaritan came along. I love that Jesus actually made him sound even worse. It says, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bills run higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. This is, we don't understand this now, but... This was so big. See, the Jewish people were sitting there going, okay, whoever the hero is, please don't let it be a Samaritan. Because the Samaritans were literally the lowest of the low on the totem pole. The Romans, yes, they were ahead of them. They were, you know, they were keeping them down, but they were the Romans. You know, you had the other people that weren't Jewish. And you know what? We can go, hey, they just don't figure it out because they're not Jewish. But Samaritans were half-breeds. There were mistakes. There were a Jewish person that had a bad night or did something dumb and went out and slept with someone that was not a Jewish person. And they had, they, they would call them dogs. They're called Samaritan dogs. And Jesus decides to make the person that is lowest on the totem pole in Jewish society, the person that everyone doesn't like, and he makes them the hero. He makes them the hero. He goes, this is what's going on. He goes, this would be kind of sometimes for some people, Jesus going out and making the Islamic person a hero or someone of a different faith that everyone doesn't like. He goes, hey, the person that you least likely think to be a hero because you decide you're elitist is the hero. The person that you don't feel like should care is the one that care. Why? Because Jesus wanted them to understand there's no one outside of our realm. He wanted everyone to understand there's not like a limit. There's not a type of person. What he wanted them to get is love doesn't ask questions. It doesn't make excuses. It just does. It just does. He uses his own clothes. He lets him ride his donkey. He pays for his shelter. He pays for his medical care. He pays for future expenses. He pays for all these things, and he doesn't need credit for it. And let me just say this. as You guys have heard me say this before. As Christians, we have got to stop praying for things that we can be the answer to. Prayer has become our get-out-of-jail-free card so many times. Oh, can you help me out with this? I'll pray about it. Can you meet with me? I'll, I'll pray about it. I'll see what's going on. Hey, you want to go on a date? I'll pray about it. And it's, it's like, <laughs> I had a friend that used it. I'm like, don't use God. Just say that. <laughs> but we do. And we know we have the resources. We have the possibility. When God brings them into our lives, when God puts that person in front of us and says, I want you to love this person, our job is not to pray about it. They're already there. God already showed them to you. He brought them to your doorstep. He put them in front of you. Love does not make excuses. Love doesn't just pray about things we already know the answer to. It does. And in that, it doesn't pay attention to what it has left. See, I think many times we, we, we misunderstand what God does. See, the point of having a relationship with God is that we are loved so much by him that we take that same love and we love others. And the moment we feel low, we go back to God and he fills us back up. So there's never a point in our relationship with God where we truly have to be afraid that our tank is going to run out because he's going to fill it back up. But so many times we look at our relationships and we go, okay, I'm going to love them or I'm going to care for them. What do they bring to the table for me? 
See, love doesn't come with conditions. Love doesn't say, if I love you, then you must love me. Love just loves no matter the circumstances. See, we get tired and we get cranky. I don't know why God seems to bring people into my life when I'm tired. Like, it's that moment where I'm like, I'm dead. I'm ready for bed. And somebody walks up and I'm like, hey, we need to talk. I'm like, of course you did. This is awesome. But here's the deal. It's always a good conversation. It's always the one that I need to have. And I think sometimes God makes me tired, so I'll shut up and just listen. But we were at camp, and uh, I, love, I love this guy, uh, Pastor William Connor, who, um, he's a big dude. He's about 6'5". He played college basketball. He's got biceps that are literally, they're massive. He looks like he could take somebody out, but he's like the kindest man in the world. He's about, I think he's in his late 50s, and he came up, and we were talking. He's like, how oh, why am I here? He goes, I'm old. I shouldn't be here. I was like, William, don't, don't say that. That's not true at all. I was in youth ministry for 13 years. Yes, young people are awesome, but sometimes people just need a father figure or a grandfather figure. I didn't say the grandfather figure. <laughs> he goes, I don't know why I'm here. I'm too tired for this. I don't know why I'm still doing this. And so you go in that first night. He goes, how? He just sat next to me. He goes, I don't know why I'm here still. Last night, message happened. They encouraged the students to go to the counselors. William's over there. They had a guy, one of his, one of his guys, come up, and he talked about some stuff. And they absolutely, they prayed. William prayed over him. He encouraged him. At the end, he goes, "Hey, man, I love you." The kid started to walk away, turn back, and literally just bear hug William, crying his eyes out, because that's the first time a man's ever told me they love me. And William is a very awesome individual. He goes. And my guess is you haven't heard this either. He goes, I'm proud of the man you're turning into right now. So the kid just bawled. He goes, that's, that's what I needed to hear. And it was great because I'm like, William, that's why you're here. That's why God placed you here. Somebody needed that moment from you. See, it would have been easy for William. He was dead tired that last night. I was dead tired that last night. It would have been very easy to walk out or go do something else and go, hey, it's fine. My kids really don't like me anyway. But he did what God wanted him to do. He stayed in the place God had put them. And he allowed God to bring the person into his life that he needed to love. And he loved them. God gave him the words. God gave him the way. And he was who he was supposed to be that night. See, if God would have paid attention to what it had left, he never would have sent his son. He never would have died. He never would have done these things. He probably would have picked and choo- chosen the ones he wanted to love. Or if God would have been like, I only want to love the ones that aren't going to hurt me back. Well, then he wouldn't have loved any of us. He says, love doesn't pay attention to what has left. It just loves. So Jesus finishes out this chapter. He says in Luke 10, he says, now which of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? This is so good. He's like, he's like making him say the name he doesn't want to. Like, I'm sure like there's a smirk. I like to think of Jesus as slightly sarcastic. So I'm sure there's like, I would have a smirk on my face. Like, um, I, I just literally baited you into exactly what you didn't want to hear. But Jesus is probably much better than that. Um, he said, Jesus asked, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even say Samaritan. He says, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. See, here's what Jesus always does. He doesn't just... He doesn't just say, hey, here's wisdom. It's wisdom with a call to action. There's never a point where you're going to learn something from God that isn't meant for you to do something with. 
God's not going to tell you, hey, you need to learn this, and I'm not going to give you a way to use it. So when we hear that we need to love others, God's going to show us someone we need to love. So when God says, hey, I'm showing you something, he's going to show us somebody to love. When God says, I'm working on your heart, he's going to show us what it needs to be doing. So when I say tonight, hey, we need to love others, there's someone you should be thinking about right now. There's, there's, there's someone that you should be thinking about. If you don't have someone, this is the time to figure it out. Who is it that you need to care for? Who is it you need to support? What is it that is on the outside? You're like, man, I felt like God put that on my heart, but that sounds a little bit crazy. I mean, I, I still remember when my wife came up to me and she said, how? I believe God has put it on my heart to start a prison ministry. I was like, no, he didn't. No. <laughs> I wasn't all, I, my, I'm like, but you've never been in prison. I'm like, what, what? Literally, okay, here's what it was, and I just want to, I didn't want my wife to die, and immediately I go to all the prison movies I've ever seen before, and I think, that's what's going to happen to my wife. My wife goes, no. She goes, they need someone to go in there. They need someone to let them know that even though they're behind bars, they still matter to God. Even though they're behind bars, that next step of their life matters. They are not defined by what they've done. They're defined by who God is. She's like, this is what needs to happen. God's probably called you to something you're like, I don't know. You're confused by it. You don't get it. You don't understand it. But God's called you to it. And the way we figure that out is we get as close as we can to God as possible. And then we ask him for the big question. We ask him, we go, God, what is it you're calling me to do? And when he tells us, we follow it. I'll, I'll tell you this. This is one of the things that I, I've started to look out for more in my life, when it comes to what I'm doing with my world, what I'm doing with the people I'm around, when it comes to who I care about and who I love. I used to really worry about failing at the things that matter. Now I, I worry more about succeeding in things that don't matter. Because I think our world and our life will be filled with things that we can succeed at that will not matter at all in the end. When God has put people in front of you, he's like, this is what matters. This is what we should be doing. Be careful of just succeeding in anything when God's calling you to something bigger. 